God, dig that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, repeat after me. Sabrina's Dirty Deeds. <laughs> yeah. G'day, Sab. Hello, Jamie. Look at us here, hey? How good is this? We should probably just paint the picture yes. a little bit. Yep. Uh, so we're standing inside a shed, but yep. just around the corner from where we are. A great garden, plenty of vineyards. Uh, there's some wine in front of us. Oh, I'm so happy. Life's pretty good. A little bit beside myself, actually. Yeah. If I was a bit older, I'd probably wet my pants. Wow. But, okay. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there pretty well so far. But we're at Millbrook Winery and um, we have the two most amazing men on the planet. We've got an award-winning winemaker from Millbrook Winery. Hello, Sabby. Hello, Damo. Uh, who's a bit of a megastar this year, but we'll get into that. And then we've got Guy, who's head chef here. Oh, no, he's master of chefnessness <laughs> now. He's been promoted to the Obi-Wan Kenobi of yeah. chefing. He's, he's mouthing executive. I think that's the title <laughs> these yes. days, isn't it? <laughs> well, hi there, Obi-Kenobi I'm Guy. The, I'm just a cook, mate. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we've come to visit Millbrook Winery. Yeah. Um, because they actually grow all their own food, most of it, that goes into the kitchen. Um, and they also have the most amazing wine waker. Oh, not wanker, but wine maker. <laughs> You've Damn only had in. one glass too. I, just, I think we should just point that out right now. <laughs> so I thought it's a lovely combination to um, – we can talk to both of them about why they're so exceptional at what they do. Yeah, why not? It's a good place to be. I reckon yeah. we'll, um, we'll get to some interesting areas. Let so me we'll... have a little slurp in between these things. Yeah. So how are you guys feeling? Because obviously things are, you know, not been, have been restricted and locked down and the doors are, are kind of finally opening. It's a pretty, pretty good day for you guys. Yeah, we had our first service yesterday with customers in the restaurant, which was, <clears throat> it was amazing. It was nice to be uh, cooking some food and putting it on a plate and seeing some happy guests. So uh, that was absolutely unbelievable for, for all the restaurant team and, and, and all of my crew. Um, but Damo, you know, COVID has affected obviously everyone, but um, I think it just, wine still has to be made when it's made because, you know, there's a season and a time for everything. So, yeah, luckily, um, and Sabby will be glad, glad for this, wine is a designated essential item. Oh, so <laughs> we were allowed to continue production because we were deemed essential. Oh, so it didn't really it didn't affect me as much as obviously the restaurant side of trade. Um, production was still allowed to go on. So it did and it went quite well. So it was good. And it is interesting because we've spoken to Guy um, a couple of times about that whole seasonality of the food. So, you know, in the kitchen, Guy uses the food that's actually grown in the gardens here and it's literally picked from the from the paddock and then ends up on your plate. But we don't really think about the seasonality of wine, do we? No, in that's fact, right. And I think – I don't think a lot of people do. And the thing is we have a season for wine and it is autumn. We, we harvest between February and April – Every year, and outside of that, and if you look around now, as we pointed out before, you can see the vineyard. There's no grapes on the vineyard now, and there won't be until next February, March, and April. And so, in that, it is defined as a seasonal product. We can only make it in the season when the grapes are ripe, when it's grape season. So, yeah. So, therefore, it's actually one of the healthiest food groups 
you could have because it, it is. <laughs> We're just talking about that with Chef. He was saying to make food better, to make vegetables more healthy for you, you have to ferment them. Yep. To make grapes obviously healthier for you, you ferment them. So there you go. Well, you know, I'm as much into gut health as the next person. And um, hey, you're pretty healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, though, there's, uh, Damo, there's a bit of a, there must be a frustration with that, right? Because when it's gone, it's gone. But there's a bit of a, a beauty to it, too, with the, the seasonality yeah. of winemaking. Well, that's right. And we make, you know, I, I try every year to to um, fill out the, what they call the crystal ball to work out how much we're going to sell each year. And then obviously we have one chance of making it. And a lot of the wines that we make at Millbrook are um, regional um, and single vineyard. So there is only a finite amount that we can make um, to start with. But then, you know, obviously if we need either more or less, I have to work out how much we're going to have. And then it has a lifespan as well. Um, it obviously lasts a couple of years, but... Um, you know, it, it means that we need to produce it once a year in the right quantity. Um, chef would work out the same amount of peas he has to pick to get through the winter um, and similar thing. You guys can relate to each other then a little bit, you know. When uh, when supplies looking short, you can look to each other for a little bit of comfort. Yeah, and Chef would know, you know, he'll talk to ad nauseum about the gluts you have twice a year and then the scarcity you have twice a year and we're the same thing. So we talk to the marketeers and they'll say, look, we've got a deal can we sell X amount to a guy in Japan? And we say, well, we don't have enough because we don't want to upset the customers that we currently have. We're not going to sell a couple of pallets to, to a guy in Japan just for the sake of, you know, and missing out on our other markets. Which is great because the local markets are all important. Nice to be local, isn't it, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about what what actually the whole thing about Millbrook Winery because it seems to be a class above everything else. And, Damo, I know you're a very modest man, but would you like to talk about the recent win that you've had this year? Well, it was quite – it was sort of a um, – I don't know, one one thing happened after another last year. We ended up winning um, Best Sab Blanc in Margaret River, Best Fortified Wine in the Swan Valley. Because we sourced from all over the regions – um, there are regional shows. So we entered the Geograph Wine Show and won Best Rosé. We entered the Perth Hills Wine Show and won not only Best White Wine, Best Red Wine, but, you know, Best Exhibitor and everything else up there. So we sort of went around the state and won all the regional um, shows. And then <clears throat> Uncle Ray, which we like to call Ray Jordan, <laughs> the, the wine writer for the West, um, yeah, gave us Winery of the Year. So that was really good. Well, I think it's very well deserved. And you do actually unusual blends, don't you, that um, a lot of other wineries don't do. Do you want to talk about some of the, the blends of grapes that you do here? Because one of them is, uh, well, there's a few that I'm quite partial <laughs> to and I can never quite make up my wine, which is the most favourite at the time. Yeah, um, as you say, we, we, we travel around West Australia and I look for vineyards that are, have something of a point of difference and a little bit of interest to me and... You know, not discounting Margaret River's greatness, they do excellent Sab Blanc, they do excellent Chardonnay, they do excellent Cabernet. So we thought, well, why, why, what's the point of us doing a Margaret River Sab Blanc, a Margaret River Chardonnay, and a Margaret River Cabernet? There's no point. There's already enough people doing that. So back in 2012, nearly 10 years ago, I found a really good parcel of Tempranillo, and it went really well. And then we thought, well, you know, if we can do Tempranillo, we can do Vermentino, but we have to find where it 
the best place it comes from. So we get it out of Harvey. Um, we do Fiano. We do Grenache blends. Um, and they all come from regions that are best suited and vineyards that are best suited to those varietals. You know, and, you know, same as we, we grow Shiraz and Viognier here in the hills because that's what it's, it's good for. Um, we grow other varietals that other people may not necessarily have been interested in up until now. And luckily, people are getting on board and they want to try something other than Sablonc. They want to try something other than Chardonnay just because people are really interested in new varieties of, of wine now. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Is there a bit of a desire with, with consumers at the moment to, to source out things that are a little bit different, to, to find something unique and um, maybe just not go for the same varieties that they've you know, drunk in years gone by? Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, we, we started five years ago making a Grenache blend. Um, at the time, our Sau Blanc was easily our biggest blend. The Grenache blend now is three times as big as the Sau Blanc blend. Because people are just like, oh, Sab Blanc, I've had a million of those. I know what it tastes like. Try a Grenache or try a Fiano, which is a really beautiful unwooded white wine. Um, and they're just like, wow, I've just found my new Sab Blanc. Can you get caught looking down the crystal ball a little bit, thinking about what people might might want in the years to come? Or do you just go after and find something unique and find the best and go down that way? Well, it goes back to the... Well, I, I make wine that I like, yeah, <clears throat> and I've decided that if I like it, and this is just what I decided eight years ago, if I like it, there's got to be other people who like it. Yep. So I just make wine that I like to drink and my wife likes to drink. So I just take a bottle home it's, it, just before we bottle it, give it to the wife. Do you like it? Give it to chef. Does it go with your food? Give it to me. I'll give it to Savvy. <laughs> give it to Savvy. She likes it. No, so yeah, I, I give, you know, chef tastes, chef tastes the wine the whole way through it's being made. So I'm like, is this going to go with chef's food to start with? And then is my wife going to like it? It's actually probably, I don't know if which was in priority. But <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might not want to put that on the record. Yeah, So, and then of course, the same thing with seasonality. We've only got one chance. So we decide, is it really, is this going to be really awesome? Or So we do a little test batch and then we see how it sells. And if we sell out, all oh, great. And then we just make more next year. So... Yeah, and, you know, it's just about food friendliness, approachability. Do I like it? Does Chef like it? That's, you know, that's how we roll. Does Sab like it? Does Sab like yeah. it? Yeah. We never, never forget <laughs> that. It's vitally important. Yeah. But, yeah, the wines, the wines we make at Millbrook are pretty much made to go with the food that the chef creates. That's yeah, just how we make them. So how close is that relationship then, Guy, between yourself uh, and the winemaker when, when it's all kind of happening? Oh, Damo and I have been... Mate, since the day uh, that that I started here, Damo's been here for what, 16, 17 years. I've been here just uh, just over ten now, and yeah, we see each other every day, and you know, we always have a beer at the end of the day. And but during the day, it's it's you know, it's all about business and it's all about food and wine. And we've been yeah, as Damo says, you know, we've been hanging out for. For ages, and it's all about making. You know, he says he makes the the wine for the food. I I make the food for the wine. And you're right. You know, like if if we like it, someone's got to like it. And I don't know we've we've got half decent palates. Um, so you know, people are people obviously are enjoying enjoying the stuff that we're doing. And I think that the 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 friendship that we have and the the amount of time we've hung out with each other and worked with each other, it. You know, it just it makes sense of 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 where the food and the wine is at Millbrook now because it, 
you know, it didn't happen on day one, obviously. It's a relationship that we've had for so long and, and, and it keeps building and building and another 10 years is going to be even better. Do you think that, um, do you think that the Australian palate has become more sophisticated? Meaning... Y- yeah, yeah, well, I mean, we, you know... Meaning more adventurous. Oh, definitely, you know, like, wasn't that long ago when um, sweet and sour pork was Chinese, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, yeah. You know, so, <laughs> yeah, and everyone's looking for something new. We all enjoy our favourites, but we all enjoy trying something new. And, you know, that comes down to the multi, uh, multiculturalism of Australia and, you know, everything that, that, that everyone's bought from overseas. Otherwise, we'd just be, what, eating roast beef or something. Well, I think Australians are actually quite big. Well, they were big travellers, obviously not in the last few months, nor in <laughs> fact for the next 12 months, I'm sure. But do you think that that has something to do with with the change in people's attitude towards food and wine? I, I think Australia is quite exceptional in, you know, we're not snooty about stuff or, you know, there isn't that class system of, Oh, you know, if you if you eat in Millbrook, and <coughs> you must only drink these wines because they're frightfully nice and they go so lovely with a bit of goose. You, have, <laughs> you don't have, you know, you don't serve up goose. No, no goose on the no. menu. Just just a couple of geese, a couple of <laughs> gooses cooking it. Um, but you know, like, and and that, and you're right. Um, we don't have to travel. You know, like. We do to learn and to grow and everything and to have fun, but but we can just go to the city and we have the world on a plate and in a glass in the in the city. The you know and it's being done very well by you know a lot. You, you can go get amazing Italian, amazing French, amazing Chinese, amazing Vietnamese. There's you know it's all at our fingertips in this uh, lockdown of of not being able to travel. Do you ever eat a dish, guy, and go? Oh, I wish I cooked that. Oh, all the time, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just cook hearty country food, so yeah, you know, like whenever I eat a beautiful, uh, well, what what did you bring home? Uh, what did you bring the other day? We had some beautiful Vietnamese. Uh, this dish with like prawns that was um, ceviche in fish sauce and oh, like with toasted rice, and I was like, oh my god, that's just amazing, you know. And I'm I'm not going to put. There's no way you'll ever see that on the menu at Millbrook, but I love eating it. I think that possibly one of the worst meals I ever had was throat in France in a very posh restaurant. Um, It had an extraordinary texture. You know when you put something in your mouth and you think, I'm not quite sure. That's different. If I should (laughs) finish chewing this and swallow it. I couldn't actually... Finish the dish. Couldn't, couldn't couldn't get it down your throat. <laughs> couldn't couldn't get that throat down my throat. It what? had the most extraordinary texture. That stuck with I you, say. hasn't it? The look on oh, your face right now, Sally. It was like, it's like it was. In actual fact, guy, you'll be shocked to hear this, but it was worse than eating kale. Oh, you should have blended it up and put it into a juice, <laughs> into a smoothie, throat smoothie with kale smoothie. Yum. Actually, I tell you what, Seb, to get back to your point. And um, we drink a lot of beer, of course, because we're chefs and winemakers. I actually, I actually, I actually would say that the craft beer industry is almost hundred um, percent 
the cause of why Australians are more adventurous in food and wine. We all started drinking different flavoured beers because we didn't want to drink, um, you know, commercial beer anymore. And craft brewers made all these really interesting beers. And then winemakers started making really interesting wine and chefs started making more interesting food. Craft breweries are half the reason, I reckon. And it's That's a really interesting point. Mm. And we got confidence to think, you know what, I'll make Vermentino. People don't even know what Vermentino is, but it tastes great and they can say it and it's from southern Italy. And it doesn't come from boiled up vermin. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not horrible. It's really tasty and it's new and it's interesting. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to get some more of that Vermentino. And it's like drinking a really awesome, you know, little creature's pale ale when they started that sort of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, just sort of, I reckon they, they sort of rolled from there. And it's like a full. Make you feel good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I work at a brewery now, so yeah. that's okay. But um, it was almost like a full circle thing, wasn't it? Where uh, a lot of the brewers and people probably didn't realise, but they all got moved out of their their home and were all set up on the east coast. And there was, you know, kind of a, a turn against that, where we had all these different craft breweries, and you knew where the consumer and the drinker knew where they came from, and they identified with that, and they were more ambitious to to try new things and have a crack. And then WA was super lucky because there's only, um, like, <clears throat> I, I, I think it's only Brisbane or there's some, only one other capital city that has, like, a, a, a uni um, beer course, like, for brewing. Yeah. And WA definitely has that. And so a lot of people from over east were coming here to do that course and that's how that beer movement started in WA. So we're super lucky um, to... To have had that course, to have brought those people here, to have then been able to drink, as Damo is saying, drink these unique beers, which has then in turn created a whole new uh, movement in in hospitality. Well, how good was it before just having a sip on that Eagle Bay, you know, dark lager as well, which is something that you wouldn't have seen 20 years ago. I wonder as well, you know, just just on that, you see with breweries, there's brewers head around to a lot of different places and that's celebrated a little bit. You know, you work here for a little bit and then you work there. Is that the same in the in the wine industry or is it a little different? Oh, yes and no. I mean, um, it's always a joke when you finish a degree in winemaking is like, who's going to get the job? Because there's only one. Because <laughs> there's not a lot of jobs. It's the opposite to chef world where, you know, there's a lot of chef jobs going on and everyone's swapping around and doing their thing. Whereas winemaking, it's like you get a good gig, you hang out there and you make it your own. Mm-hmm. You put your stamp on it and you, it's it's sort of you own it. But, yes, yeah, no, so it's not really there's – a, there's a whole vintage experience thing where people like to go and say, oh, I worked in France, I worked in Spain, I worked here and I worked there. But – I'm not sure whether there's a whole lot of value in that in terms of developing new skills. You see a lot of stuff, you you have a lot of fun and you meet a lot of people um, and you taste a lot of wine. And I, and I suppose that's the education, but it's really, at the end of the day, you want to have pride in the in the wine you're making. So there's something in when you get to home base, you know, you've been here, what, 16 years, did you say? Well, 18 okay. this year. So I'm sort of making Something out short. that it's way better to stay in the same <laughs> <laughs> for a long time. But you can you can kind of you develop things on a longer-term plan. And oh, when you talk exactly. about seasonality, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of part of it. These, these plans take years to, to come yep. into fruition. Oh, exactly right. And when I started sourcing from some of these vineyards, there were babies. And now they're mature vineyards. So you see them from through their whole life cycle. I mean, when, when I started here, some of these um, vineyards were five, just, just starting to produce wine. And now they're 25 years old. So Are your kids? 
Yeah, that's right. And you just, you know, you know them. You know the you know what's going to happen to them. You know where they're going to end up and you know what to do to make sure that happens. So, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about, because people don't realise that uh, like olive trees, a lot of the grapevines are actually reworked and you quite often see that. You'll see um, a vineyard where they've obviously just let the grapes go or they've cut their entire heads off. So... Are grapes reworked very often? Um, hopefully not too often if you get it right in the start. But see, the thing with the Australian wine industry is that Australians are extremely adaptable and actually pretty smart. And we will, and we're not as restricted as the rest of the world. So we've made sure that our laws don't restrict us to certain things. So, you know, in France, in Burgundy, you are only allowed to plant these two varieties. You know, it's Chardonnay, Pinot. You know, it's like crazy. In Australia, and and this is what happened here. Um, you know, we just planted everything everywhere, and that's good because then we worked out what was good in some places and bad in other places. And what we've actually done over the last, see, Mosswood or Cullen were were planted in the seventies, and it's fifty years ago that the Margaret River wine industry was created. And in that 50 years, now we know Chardonnay, Cabernet, mm. you know, and Sab Blanc. We wouldn't have known that if we hadn't have planted Cabernet, Chardonnay, Sab Blanc, Shiraz, Merlot, all the other varieties. And then all we've done in the end is said, you know what, it's no bloody good for Tempranillo. Rip that out, put some more Chardonnay in. So Australians can do that because that's we what can. we can. We're allowed, <laughs> we're allowed we can. to. We do it because we can. That's exactly right. It's a was, bit of fun I in was, that. Um, right? yeah. I was quite astonished when the first time I went to France and Italy and Spain, particularly France and Spain, the restrictions on what they were allowed to grow, I yeah. it it came as a shock to me. I had no idea that. Yeah, that. and that, and uh, and that's evolved. And Australia's wine industry may evolve like that. You you say you know Margaret was fifty years old. The Bordeaux regions. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. So by the time, say, Margaret River's 200 years old, you may only be allowed to plant Chardonnay and Cabernet there because we're just like, why bother doing anything else? You make a really bad one. It says Margaret River on it. It says Margaret River Nebbiolo. It's like, why? You know, so it may get to that point, but we're not quite there yet. We're evolving, but we haven't evolved quite that far. Oh, very. 50 years is nothing in wine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Our vineyard here is... 25 years old and as you pointed out when you're looking up the hill there we've just decided that Cabernet doesn't grow that good here but we think Grenache will because we were all about Rhone varieties so we've taken 25 years to change the variety of our vineyard um, and you know it's nothing it's 25 years the boss is only 25 years old man chef is still young he'll probably discover that he's one of his cabbage varieties this year grows really badly and next year won't plant it same thing. Just on that guy, is that the case? I mean, veggies are they're short, you know, they they're short lived. But are there, uh, you know, do you get duds and you just think not going to bother with those? Yeah, all the yeah, we we'll try new things every year. Like if we see, you know, it's hard to find new heirlooms yeah. <laughs> or things that we haven't done because we've been doing it for, for for a while. Um but yeah, we'll try new things each year if we see something like this year this summer just gone we we grew uh kakuza which I uh, was given some seeds. Not growing that again. It was a waste of time. So <coughs> so um 
but yeah, we'll we'll plant a small amount of something, and if it if it if it does well, we'll save the seed, and then we'll grow a lot of it the year after. Um, so yeah, definitely, and 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 as you know, with gardening, you know, like the majority of it are perennials. There are a few annuals in there, but um, not really with the vegetables. Um, you know, the orchard, for example. Uh, you know, like that's been oh, the orchard here's about 90 years old no one knows for sure um but we're we're planting new things you know we, we just plant uh, we're about to plant a chatut the a white mulberry native to um pa- pakistan i believe pakistan. um and we know that's going to grow well here um we just planted we've got some 90 year old persimmons the astringent varieties but we've just planted um some non-astringent the fuyus um because we know they're going to grow well here as well so um but then when it comes to the veggies Pretty much the majority of our seed is saved. So if it's done well, then there'll be seed to save and it'll be planted again. Oh, love it. Love it. So uh, do you – what about uh, pest and disease control? What do you do about that? Uh, just let it all be what it is. Um, we've got a fence up to keep kangaroos and wild pigs and rabbits out. Um, and really the only thing that gives us the – the heebie-jeebies is the uh, green vegetable stink bug. Oh, yes. Um, but this time of year, it's not around. It's hibernating somewhere. Hopefully it's not. But, um, yeah, we get a few months off from uh, walking around squashing the little buggers. <laughs> how those? Uh, we talked about this last time we had a yarn, but how are those wild pigs going? Oh, la- last night, Stadin was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> They're still coming in handy. Yep. I know you, you've been doing this for a while, but what was what was it that you were chasing initially when you decided to, to set up the garden here and only uh, have on the menu what you were, were growing? What was it that you were you were chasing and, and trying to achieve? I was trying to achieve what I was doing at home um, on a small scale with my family of just eating vegetables out of the garden for, you know, like getting dinner, come home, grab some dinner. Um, and I was working in, in Perth's top restaurants and, and we had some amazing produce, but the vegetables were substandard. They just were pretty generic and nothing like what I was pulling out of the garden at home. So I just thought, well, I, I need to find a nice big area, I find a job where they're, they're, they'll allow us to put a garden in and uh, obviously the room to do it and so hence a winery um and pretty much it's the same ethos as just being at home and and eating out of the garden except my instead of a wife and two kids i've got 350 mates coming for lunch (laughs) (laughs) so was there a bit of a light bulb moment at home where you were tasting these veggies from your garden that were superior than what you were getting in a you know top restaurant yeah yeah there was and it took me Probably three or four years to to find Millbrook, um, where the owner was all for it and actually was encouraging, as opposed to oh yeah you can do that. It was like we want you to do that. So it's a bit of a tough sell, like going around town to try and find somewhere that you could do that. Yeah, it's not cheap. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, it's it's probably the same price as buying vegetables to to run it, um, but the the outcome is priceless. You know. Oh, sensational. Tucking in to a little bit of tucker and guzzling down uh, a little bit of uh, award-winning wine. 
that comes from Millbrook Winery. So uh, you know, the more wine you drink mm-hmm. that Damo's made, yes. the better my food tastes. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you guys are such good mates. <laughs> I think I think actually it's a pretty even balance. I'd go vice versa as well. I in, <laughs> and in fact, um, the reason that we've come out today is to test that theory. <laughs> so, because I'm all about scientific endeavour and I do like a controlled experiment. So um, I think we should forge f- forward now in this scientific endeavour and uh, we'll be matching wine with food hopefully for the next hour or so. Sounds like a plan. Wouldn't mind going finding some of those wild pigs as well, Seth. <laughs> what do you reckon? Only if it's on a plate. Out on the back for me, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> It'll be an adventure. Thank you so much, guys. It's been it's been wonderful. Thanks for coming, hanging out with us, and uh, yeah, got you out the office. So I know it's marvelous. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Damo.